with me to the book of Luke, Luke, the fourth chapter. And we mentioned the acoustics, obviously the rain on the roof. Um, uh, but amen, the Lord will help us and just, uh, we want you to, to be able to, to hear without, without a whole lot of effort. Amen. Uh, and so, uh, praise God. All right, so Luke chapter 4. And um, let's begin at verse number 14. Luke chapter 4. And um, we'll read verses 14 and 15, and then we'll comment, all right? It says, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogue, synagogues, I'm sorry, plural, synagogues, being glorified by all. Now, we've been in a series here since the end of last year that simply focusing on and, and, and giving explanation to more understanding on the subject of giving God the place He deserves in our lives, in, our, in my life, in our lives, okay? Again, giving Him the place that He deserves in your life. And so we kind of abbreviate that by just simply saying, giving Him place, giving Him place. One of the things the Lord spoke to me is that there are a lot of His children um, wanting and needing him, even asking him to do things in their life that they have not given him place to do. Wanting, needing him to do things in their lives, in their families, finances, whatever, that they have not given him place to do, haven't given him the place to do it. We, we could simplify it by saying this, we haven't made it his business. We, we haven't committed it to him. And the Bible says that he's able to commit what you, he's able to keep for you what you commit to him. But he can't keep what you don't commit. He can't take care of something that you insist on taking ownership of and trying to keep, control, fix, whatever, yourself. So again, that's another way for us to understand what it means when we say giving him place. Now, our study has led us to this portion of the fourth chapter of Luke's gospel. And this, 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 these verses, really, we're, we're looking at verses 14 through 29. I don't know, I can just about tell you we're not going to get to all those verses this morning. But what we see, and strategically so by the Holy Spirit, is how Jesus was received and how he was responded to and the results that people experienced in what the Bible just simply refers to as Galilee. Now we could say it this way, we could say greater Galilee because Nazareth, I guess, was technically located within the region that was referred to as Galilee. Let me just throw a few locations out at you that were Galilee. The place called Nain, N-A-I-N, that was in Galilee. Anybody remember what happened in Galilee? A widow's only son was raised from the dead in Galilee of Nain. How about this one? I'll just give you one more and we'll move on. How about Gadara? 
Anybody ever heard of a place called Gadara in the Bible? Gadara was a place where a man was possessed with a legion of demons. And Jesus came to Gadara and set that man free. The, the demon-possessed man of the Gadarenes is how that's often said as well. So we see, again, I want you to pay close attention to as we work our way through this this morning, um, what we're calling reception, how Jesus was received, how he was responded to, response, and then results. So three key things, reception, response, results. And what we see is that the reception in, let's just say, greater Galilee was completely different from the reception he received in Nazareth. Nazareth was Jesus' hometown. The response to him in greater Galilee was completely different from the response to him in Nazareth. And sadly, the results that people experienced in greater Galilee were completely different from the results that were experienced in Nazareth. Now, I believe, again, the Holy Spirit strategically put these two distinctly different portions of Jesus' ministry side by side in Scripture for the purpose of people like you and me comparing, recognizing, and coming to the conclusion of how important it is, first of all, for people in general to give Jesus the place that He deserves among them but even more importantly, how important it is, how critical it is for you, for me, for us to give him that place in our lives, in our hearts, in our families, in, in our uh, congregations. So again, if we go back to the passage, and I'll put it all back up there again, that verse 15, and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all you will not find the exact phrase giving him the place he deserves anywhere in Scripture. But it is more than captured. It is captured and then some in the word glorified in Luke chapter 4, verse 15. The people in Galilee glorified Jesus, but we will see a completely different reception, response, and results when he went to his hometown in Nazareth. Now, glorified by all means general consensus. He was individually glorified and therefore collectively glorified in greater Galilee. This is talking about, again, an opinion that they had of Jesus and the place that they gave him in their hearts based upon that opinion. It's not that they gave him a key to the city. They gave him much more than that. They gave him a key to their heart. They put him in a place where he could actually do something for them. Now, I want us to get a little more specific about this because the question before us is, what did it mean exactly for them to glorify Him or to glorify Jesus, for Him to be glorified by all? I believe if we answer this question, we will better understand what it means to give Him the place that He deserves in your life 
Last Sunday, I asked this question, if, and don't get nervous, I'm not going to do it to you, but if I, was to, if I was to ask you to come forward and stand in front of everyone and glorify Jesus, what would you do? I mean, how, what would that look like? If you were going to show us, if I was going to show you this morning what someone glorifying Jesus looks like when they're doing it, right? Probably like myself, you would think, well, you know, start praising Him or worshiping Him or, or telling Him thank you and that sort of thing. While that is an important part of it, Him being glorified by all uh, means much more than that, okay? Now, I want to I give you kind of a condensed definition. This is, uh, this is my definition, all right? And so it might need a little uh, explanation, all right? A lot of the definitions we've looked at so far are huge. And they're hard to wrap your mind around. So glorify is an unsolicited, I'll give you the definition on that word in just a moment, unsolicited outward expressions from an inward opinion of the heart. Unsolicited outward expressions from an inward opinion of the heart. Now, unsolicited means not asked for, given, or done instead, given or done voluntarily, all right? So unsolicited is not something that was asked for, but instead it's something that was given, done, or offered voluntarily. Come on now, are you with me? This is huge right here. This is where a lot of people become deceived into thinking that they're giving God place in their lives when they're really not, because instead of their outward expressions of glorifying Jesus, instead of those being unsolicited, they're instead something that people think, well, I probably should do this, and I guess I ought to do that, and well, you know, I mean, God's going to be mad at us if we don't go to church, and good Christians give some money when they're there, and this kind of thing. And, and so it, it becomes like a checklist instead of something spontaneous. Instead of something that comes voluntarily from the heart. Jesus didn't go in there and say, glorify me or else. Nor did he go in there and say, if you will glorify me, this is what I will be able to do for you. He just went in there and told them who he was. He went to each synagogue. He stood in that synagogue. He read from Isaiah 61 about the prophet's... Uh, uh, what the prophet said about the soon-to-come Messiah. Jesus read that. What that Messiah would do when he comes, he read it, he handed it back to the attendant, and he said, today these verses are fulfilled in front of you. In other words, everything necessary to make every bit of this come to pass is available for you right here, right now, today. That's all he did. And then, then the people from an opinion, I don't know if we have time to develop opinion any further this morning than this, but again, it was an opinion inside of them that resulted in an outward expression. Oh, sweet Jesus, help us, Father. This is so important, right? This wasn't something that they did because they were raised in church and this is what you do when you go to church. This was something that was a response from their heart. The Bible says it this way. If you will be willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. There's something that Father desires from you that's even more than your obedience to Him. It's the willingness of your heart. So many times we've tried to substitute our obedience for our willingness. 
How many people do you think around the United States and for that matter around the world this morning are in church this morning not because of willingness but because of obedience? They would rather be somewhere else. Their hearts are somewhere else but their backsides are in pews, right? Because after all, that's what we got to do to keep God from being mad at us and at least, you know, not punish us or what have you. That is not what giving Him place in your life looks like. It begins with an inward opinion of the heart that manifests itself in unsolicited expressions to Him. This is what it means to glorify Him, and this is what it means to give Him place. To give Him place. So let's look at what they did, and again, this is all based upon a much larger and longer definition. But again, broken down so anybody who wants to understand it can. The first thing they did was they recognized and received Him as the anointed one sent from heaven. So the first thing about glorification or glorifying is this word recognition. It's where you recognize that He's not just another man. Amen. So the first thing that we see in Greater Galilee is that when he would go to the synagogue and read that and announce that he was indeed the Messiah and sat down in a chair reserved for the Messiah, that they recognized and received him as the anointed one sent from heaven. I could go on and on here. We'll develop it later. But remember, we've said it over and over again already. His word cannot have a place in your life that you haven't given him nor can He have a place in your life that you haven't given to His Word. Nor can His name have authority in your life that you have not given Him in your life. There's a lot of people who go around spouting off in the name of Jesus like it's some kind of, you know, magic spell or something. If you, if you look at it very carefully in the Scriptures, there's, there's people who invoked the name of Jesus with no results. Remember that, that Peter and John explained it this way, that the lame man at the temple gate was healed by the name of Jesus through faith in His name. So we can't, you know, oh, just, you know, just speaking to my children, pastor, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, be safe in the name of Jesus, be healed in the name of Jesus, be well in the name of Jesus, be protected in the name of Jesus. If you haven't given Jesus the place in your life He deserves, you can't, His name can't have a place in your life that it needs to have. And so you got people all mad at God, oh, I said this, I did this, I did this. No, no, see, you, you didn't give Him the place that He deserves, and now you wonder why things aren't working out as they should be working out in your life. Amen or oh me? So we got to recognize Let's start right here. Jesus is the Word made flesh. This is not just another book. This is not just a, a, another good book. Matter of fact, don't call it a good book. To kill, mocking, to kill a mockingbird is a good book. This is the holy inspired Word of God. It's living and powerful. Amen. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. So, we've got to recognize and receive His Word as the anointed Word from heaven. Let me keep moving here. Number two, how did they glorify Him? They treated Him with great respect. They treated Him with great respect. There's an undermining of honor and respect in our society today, in our culture today. 
And I promise you, it is from the pits of hell. Because the enemy is trying to raise a generation on planet earth that is without honor. That is honorless. He's trying to raise a generation on planet earth that only views intolerance as being wrong and everything else is right and everything else is okay. And that if you're intolerant of what other people choose, you're somehow a bad person and a bad Christian. They treated Jesus with great respect. The reason Satan is trying to raise an honorless generation on planet earth is because if we have no honor for family, if we have no respect for mom and dad, if we have no honor for our country, if we have no honor or respect for our elders, how will we ever have honor and respect for God? See, the devil lies to us and tells us that somehow we can honor God without honoring all these other things, and it's simply will not work. Can you hear me? Can y'all hear me in the back? Praise God. All right. Sweet Jesus. Number three, they expressed warm approval, admiration, and gratitude for him. This is also what we would call praise. and time they deemed him worthy of their money effort and time they deemed him worthy of their money effort and time let's go back to unsolicited or a voluntarily offered outward expression of an inward opinion for those of you who are new to Heritage, or for those of you who have been here for a long time, you're probably figuring out really quickly that Pastor Mark is not a manipulator. I'll never try to shame you into participating. I'll never try to make you feel guilty because you didn't. I'm never going to condemn you for what you give or don't give. I had some pastors like that growing up, and that's, that's not who we are because that's not who Jesus is. A lot of folks have somewhere on the, you know, a lot of Christian families have somewhere on their front doors for me and my house will serve the Lord. Somewhere cross-stitched or somewhere, or at least if that's not hung somewhere on the refrigerator or the wall of their house or the door of their house, there's a general attitude that agrees with Joshua's statement so many, many years ago. It's for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Come on now, can anybody relate to that? But listen to me, please. Here's one of the confusions again that's happened in the body of Christ these days. We somehow have equated coming to church with serving the Lord. Coming to church is not serving the Lord. Coming to church is where you come to get fed and strengthened and equipped to actually serve the Lord. 
Amen. You see how things get shifted around in our thinking, and we think, you know, come to church a few times a month, that me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. You know, so me and my house, we'll come to church. That's, thank God, it's a good place to start, but that's not the same as serving him. And we need some folks to help serve him around here at Heritage. And if, and if I've erred, I'll certainly fall on God's mercy. But I would rather you do that from a voluntary expression of gratitude to God rather than I made you feel guilty. Hello? I made you feel like a bad Christian because you wouldn't come and help with the children or with, or, or, or you, you follow what I'm saying here? It's a lot of folks, man, serve God hard, hard, hard every, every day and still are not giving him place in their lives. It's an outward expression, unsolicited outward expression of an, we could say inward opinion or an inward attitude of the heart. So notice, Jesus didn't ask for money, right? They deemed him worthy of their finances. They deemed him worthy of their effort, their, their time, talent, and treasure, if you will. They deemed him worthy of their time. Then number five, they properly valued him. Now, this next point, I'm gonna put it up on the screen. But I'm just, it's kind of like when Jesus would say something like verily, verily, or surely, assuredly, he was kind of preparing everybody because what he was about to say was, was going to require some thought, but also if we could embrace it and really internalize it, it would cause a tremendous breakthrough in our lives. And man, when the Lord told me this, um, it, it really just came alive in me and I'm praying now that it's going to come in, alive in you. And here's what he told me that they didn't glorify him because he did miracles among them. He did miracles among them because they glorified him. Amen. See, we kind of have this expression, well, who wouldn't glorify somebody if they were standing there and he, he, he raised a widow's only son from the dead? So we think that because he did those things among them that they glorified him, just the opposite. Because they glorified him, he was able to do those things among them. It's because in glorifying him, in acknowledging, recognizing, all those things that we just read, that list of five, those were unsolicited. It, it wasn't like, hey, I just raised a man from the dead. Let's drop the microphone here. Give me some, give me some praise, right? What a, what's a brother got to do to get some recognition around here? No, no, see, none of that. None of that. I just fed 6,000 of you with a little boy's fish and chips and you're not going to give me an offering? Now see, none of that, right? None of that. They didn't glorify him because he did miracles. He did miracles among them because they glorified him because when they glorified him, they gave him place in their lives to be able to do the miracles. The people of Galilee gave Jesus an honorable, an honorable position among them which enabled him 
to do miracles among them. Listen to me. If you're waiting for Jesus to do something miraculous in your life before you give him the place he deserves, you are more than likely going to be waiting for a really long time. Now let me try to simplify this for you, okay? The moment, the instant, the millisecond you believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth and gave him place in your life as your savior, he saved you. He saved you. And hopefully you were thankful. Hopefully you, 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 uh, you know, had some unsolicited outward expressions of gratitude. Amen. But notice until a man or a woman is willing to give him that place and recognize him as their savior, he can't save you. He can't save you. Religiously minded people say all the time that God made me this or God made this or, or you know, made this person to do this or what. Listen, if God was going to make anybody do anything, anywhere, anytime, he would make us all get saved. He would make us all receive Jesus. He would make us all bow our knees to him now because there's going to be a lot of people who are not going to do it and it's going to be too late for them. Until you glorify him as Savior in, in your life, he can't save you. If you wait for him to bring salvation into your life and make you a new creation before you're going to acknowledge him as Savior, you will never be saved. And here's the problem. Some folks have given him the place of Savior, but they haven't given him the place of Deliverer. They haven't given him the place that he deserves in your life as the one who will set you free. They haven't given him the place yet in their lives as healer. They haven't given him place yet in their lives as the one who wants to prosper. Are you hearing me? One more time. They didn't glorify him because he did miracles among them. He did miracles among them because they glorified him. Now let me, again, this is a, a rabbit trail that we could chase for three weeks. I, I'm gonna just try to comment on it briefly if I could. And I felt like the Holy Spirit had me add these things to the notes last minute because there are gonna be some folks here this morning or folks who hear this later that, that need to hear this, okay? So, because I know there's some of you in here, a lot of you in here like me, you're very analytical. And, and so you make a statement like that. And while everybody else is amening it, you're sitting there trying to process it. And perhaps even coming up with instances in your life where you look back and see where God did work in your life when you were still waving the middle finger of your life in his face. So let's go ahead and get something straight. What's on the screen in front of you is not to say that God doesn't at times show his mercy by working miracles for people who do not know him or have not given him the place he deserves in your life. As a matter of fact, he's done that for all of us. Some of us just have become wise enough to acknowledge it and some of us have not yet become wise enough to acknowledge it. But you have no idea how good he has been to you. 
You have no idea what he has done for you and how he has helped you. The Bible says he makes the rain to fall huh, on the just and the unjust. So their crops will grow right alongside people who love him and have given him place. And so, again, there are all kinds of things that he has done by way of intervening in your life because of his great love for you and his great desire to see you come to him. And ultimately, the Bible says it's his goodness that will cause a person to come before him in repentance. All right? Now, this idea that somehow Jesus is playing hard to get is wrong because, again, there were countless numbers of people who experienced miracles from Jesus while he was on this earth as a man who never received him as their Savior. And that's one of the underlying themes of the book of Hebrews. It's an effort from the Holy Spirit through the writer of Hebrews to try and reach out to Jewish men and women who experienced and tasted of the earthly ministry of Jesus but never received him as their Savior. And, of course, now some of these folks were children, and they're, and they're up in the later stages of their life. And so the writer of Hebrews is, has written an open letter to the Hebrew people to try to convince them one last time to call upon the name of the Lord and, and, and be saved. But God's ways are the ways of faith. Electricity simply will not flow through rubber and the power of God will not flow through unbelief. Now, in recent days, we've looked at some accounts from the life of Jesus. One last Sunday morning, I'll just briefly remind you, the Bible says that Jesus was in a house. That house was filled with religious leaders, Pharisees among them. And not only was Jesus in the house, and not only were the religious leaders in the house, the Bible says that the power of God to heal them was also present in the house. Now you would think that if Jesus was there and the power of God was, was, was there to heal a certain group of people who needed healing, that healings would be firing off right and left. But the reality of it is no one was healed until uh, four friends carried a paralyzed buddy and tore the roof off the house and let him down through. And the Bible says when Jesus saw their faith. The second one we looked at on Wednesday night, and this is when Jairus, ruler of the synagogue, comes falls at Jesus' feet in a public way, humbles himself, gives Jesus place in his life, and he says, my daughter is very sick at the point of death. Would you please, if you come to my house and, and, and pray for her, you will, she will be healed and she will live. Jesus said, yes, I will come and heal her. He's on his way, and the Bible says that the multitudes are thronging him. Think Beatles in the 1960s. But they're not thronging him because he's a movie star or a rock star. They're thronging him because rumor is that he's touched people and healed them. And so you had a lot of people who came to Jesus to kick the tires, so to speak. They were touching him to see if by chance they might receive something from him if they touched him. And there were thousands of people that day who touched him who nothing, absolutely nothing happened in their bodies. But there was this one woman who had been sick for many, many years at the point of death, a chronic terminal illness. She'd spent every Every penny she had to try to find help. Nobody could help her, but she believed a scripture out of the Old Testament that when the Messiah came, there would be healing in the hem of his garment. And the Bible says that she said within herself continually, if I but touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed of my disease. She said that into the point that it became so alive in her that she could not not touch the hem of his garment. 
She snuck through the crowd, crawling on her hands and knees, reached in and never touched his body, but touched the hem of his garment. And Jesus turned around and said, who touched me? And the disciples looked at him like he'd lost his mind. People are thronging you, Jesus. Why are you asking who touched you? He said, someone touched me for I felt virtue leave my body and go into them. And the woman said, it, 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 was, it was me, sir. It was me. I touched you. The title of Wednesday night's sermon is this. Probability throngs Jesus, but faith touches him. Faith touches him. Hoping that touching him will do something for you is not giving him the place that he deserves in, in your life. As a matter of fact, it'll probably be tonight before I can show it to you, but that was in essence the attitude of the people in Nazareth, in his hometown. Their attitude was, you're Joseph's son until you prove otherwise. They wouldn't give him the place until he did the miracle. They refused to glorify him until they did something, until he did something rather that they deemed worthy of being glorified. So again, think of all those Pharisees who needed healing with the power of God present to heal. Am I, am I the only one, come on now, am I the only one that would think Jesus is in the house? No, again, I, I know I'm this, Jesus standing right there this morning, not me, Jesus standing right there this morning. And the power of God present to heal any person in this room sick right there with him. Would you not think that's enough for everybody in here that's sick to be healed? It's not. Because the reality of it is this this morning. He is here. And the power of God is present this morning to heal every person in this room who's sick, every person in this room who's bound, every person in this room who's confused, every person in this room who's broke. Amen. You say, well, why isn't it happening, Pastor Mark? Because we're waiting for him to do something that makes us think he's worthy to be glorified. In other words, we're saying, if you'll do this for me, I'll give you the place you deserve in my life. And Jesus is like, you got to give me the place that I deserve in your life so I can do it for you. How about this? Handing out miracles like candy to people who have no respect for God and his ways is like God endorsing a mindset and way of life that's leading them straight to hell. If you thought it was good, I'm going to say it again, brother. Handing out miracles like candy to people who have no respect for God and his ways is like God endorsing a mindset and way of life that's leading them straight to hell. You can't say God didn't want those Pharisees healed. He made his raw healing power available. Amen. Amen. Oh, sweet Jesus, it's time. We said electricity will not flow through rubber in the same way that the power of God will not or cannot, I should say. Electricity cannot flow through rubber and the power of God cannot flow through unbelief. And lest we forget, eternal life is not to have received a miracle from Jesus. Eternal life is to know the Father. Getting what you need without having to deal with God 
is what the devil offers us. Getting what you need without having to learn anything about God or his ways. That's the system, that's the kingdom of this world that the devil rules over. The people in Galilee gave Jesus a place from which he could work and do miracles among them. But the people in Nazareth did not. Mark's gospel says that he could do no mind. Not that he wouldn't. See, that's the thing. It's so hard for us because he's Jesus. He can do anything. No, no, no. See, the truth is he's all-powerful. But your opinion of him, the place that you give him in your life, is what determines the ability of an all-powerful God to work in your life. Singers and musicians, if you would come, please. I'm going to swap back over to the... And that mic, that is... Amen. Thank you, Jesus. This one's louder. Amen. I've been told that I asked this question too much, but are you getting anything out of this? Is this answering some questions for you? See, religion tells us God doesn't, God doesn't do that anymore. That's what religion tells us. God doesn't do miracles anymore. Are you kidding me? I want to explain this maybe a little further tonight, but let me just, for those of you who were here the Sunday morning when Jerry, Marilyn, O'Dell were here, I'll try to get some of these pictures if I can. They put picture after picture after picture of people in Pakistan and India who were deaf, who had tumors, who had digestive issues, who had healings and miracles in their bodies that they went, because it was a three or four day meeting, healed on the first day, went to the doctor and got medical proof of, of miracles in their bodies. And, and, and the Lord told me this, I'm not trying to make anybody mad, I'm just telling the Lord told me this, Matty told me, he said, there's a lot of people sitting here looking that up on the screen and going, well, why ain't it happening here? Why, if that's happening over there, why ain't it happening here? You realize that was exactly the attitude of the heart in people in Nazareth? Because they had heard about all these miracles that had happened in, in Gadara and Nain and, 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 and this and that and all these other places Jesus had been, right? And they're like, well, why didn't he do that when he was here? He grew up here. He ain't healed nobody while he was living here. See, mm -mm -mm. let me pray for you. Father, you're good to us. We love you. I thank you for what you're teaching us. I thank you for what you're stirring in us. I thank you for what you're revealing to us. Father, we refuse to be offended at this. But instead, sir, we say thank you for helping us see where we may have been blinded in the past. And that you're helping every person in this room that says, I don't know exactly how I need to go about it, but I want to give him the place that he deserves in my life. Father, you right there helping us. Just that little crack in the door, you're right there helping us do what needs to be done, adjustments that need to be made, priorities that need to change, opinions that need to be revolutionized that we've previously had where you're concerned. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Will those who are serving communion please come? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. They're going to begin to serve you communion. And if you're a guest with us, we would love for you to enjoy communion, the Lord's Supper with us this morning. This is not about if you're a member of this church. It's about are you a member of the body of Christ. And um, so um, remain in a, just a worshipful, prayerful attitude. Matter of fact, you can sing along, worship along with them. Um, and if you're served first, if you would hold your emblems until everyone is served, then we'll all partake together. Amen.